The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones who did not believe and who was the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. We all know what scandal is. We know it when we see it, as they used to say. Sometimes scandal has touched our lives, and we know it in a way that's uh, shameful and deep and hard to accept. When uh, I was in seminary in the uh, early to mid-90s, we had with us as a chaplain one of the canons from St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. He was with us for most of the academic year, and he and I got to know each other fairly well because... He had come out of uh, rural ministry to that very uh, lofty ministry at, at St. George's. And I was going back <laughs> to rural ministry in South Dakota. So we had many opportunities to talk and share stories. And uh, in the course of getting to know him, uh, this was during the time, you'll recall, when the royal family was going through scandal upon scandal upon scandal. And he said... It came home to them at St. George's uh, one particular morning when they opened the tabloids. Now, it's important to know that St. George's was deeded to the dean and canons of, of St. George's Chapel by Henry VIII. So they are a community within a, a royal community. So they had their own gardener and staff. And he said one morning they opened the papers and there was a picture of their gardener in the altogether gardening. He said, 
they really felt it couldn't get any lower than that. It was as bad as it could get. Scandal had hit St. George's even. Well, we all know how difficult it is, and we've seen it uh, time and again with religious uh, leaders. We've seen it with politicians. Scandal is difficult. It strikes me as particularly strange that the Christian faith is based on three scandals. The scandal of the crib, the scandal of the cross, and the scandal of the sacrament. I first heard this when at seminary one of our professors talked about these three scandals. And ever since I've heard it, I've thought what an amazing thing it is. It's so paradoxical. And yet it is so much like Jesus to have done it this way. First, the scandal of the crib. We know that part of our story as Christians is this very unusual conception and birth of Jesus. The Christmas story is such that it's set in, in such a pristine way at Christmas time. We just see the beauty of it, and we often don't see the scandal that it contains. But for those who perhaps lived in Nazareth after Christianity started to take hold and thought about Jesus and Mary and Joseph, there were rumors. And the rumors were that Jesus really had been fathered by a Roman soldier. Or perhaps it was that Joseph was really his father. So one can imagine that uh, it was very scandalous for Mary especially, but also for Joseph and for Jesus to have lived with those whispers around them. And any young woman who has found herself in the situation that Mary was in know the hurt of those whispers. Born of a virgin, conceived by God, the rumors abounded. But God did choose a young woman betrothed to a carpenter, and Jesus' father was to be God, a hard reality for earthbound minds to even begin to contemplate. Jesus was not born in a palace, but yet he was born in a manger, in the lowliest of places. The second scandal is the scandal of the cross. Christians proclaim Christ crucified. And Paul uh, often said how difficult this was for us to understand and to accept. And in one place he writes, a stumbling block to Jews, a foolishness to Gentiles. The stum stumbling block centered around the belief that the all-powerful, all-supreme God would, in Jesus, choose to suffer and die as a condemned criminal and to hang upon a cross. It was something that was absolutely the worst thing that could be imagined for a Jew to be hanged upon a cross. This cornerstone of our faith, the righteous one submitting to the most humiliating of capital punishments, a punishment that was, was seen as not just cruel, but shameful. That is the cornerstone of our faith, that the righteous, righteous one would do that, would allow that to happen to him. It requires that we change our mind in some way in order to see that as a possibility even. It requires a way of thinking that would overcome the sting of scandal associated with the stigma of the cross. Perhaps it's not surprising to uh, realize that the earliest signs for 
uh, Christians was the sign of the fish. It was centuries later that the crucifix became a sign of Christianity. So to affirm that the holy God experiences the depths of human suffering and the sting of death was difficult enough. But to claim that it was the death of a criminal on a cross was just too much. Who would choose as God one executed in public of a capital crime? Now, as if these two scandals were not enough, in today's gospel, we are presented with the third scandal, the scandal of the sacrament. It occurs in Jesus' sermon in the synagogue, which he centers on this uh, explanation of the bread of life. Now, this is the fourth Sunday that we've been talking about bread. And as Becky pointed out last Sunday, uh, it must be important for some reason because we keep getting it Sunday after Sunday. And this Sunday, I think Jesus uh, finally gets it to the point where it is truly scandalous. Jesus begins with some bold assertions. I am the bread which came down from heaven. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And as we heard in the gospel last week, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. In each of the, these statements, a little more of the scandal of the sacrament is revealed. Jesus seems to be saying, you are what you eat. Now, we've heard that before, but he means something different, I think. He literally seems to be saying, you need to swallow, you need to take into you the Holy One. The Holy One needs to become a part of you. But what Jesus said was scandalous, because in Aramaic, that meant the eater of flesh, which equated to the devil. It was a title for the devil, to be an eater of flesh. And drinking blood was clearly forbidden by God's law. Symbolically, it referred to a terrible uh, destruction, violent destruction. And nowhere in the, in the scriptures, except in the New Testament, in references to the Eucharist, is there anything said in a positive way about drinking blood. The sacrament of the Eucharist was so scandalous for early Christians that they were accused of participating in some sort of, uh, of rite of cannibalism. So it was very hard from the very beginning for Christians to be able to enter into that understanding of what it was to consume Christ. One wonders why Jesus couldn't have been a little less offensive about the whole thing. In today's gospel, we hear that many of his disciples objected. They said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And then Jesus asks, does this offend you? And the reading goes on to say, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. I've often wondered why Jesus had to put it in such scandalous terms. If he had had a publicist or somebody to help him with his campaign, he would have never used those terms. And I've thought that perhaps a reason he did is because if he could make it that offensive, perhaps we could look at ourselves and the offense which is within us 
in some sense of scandal, perhaps, within us, but certainly the sin that is within us. And that if we could get beyond that, if we could get beyond how gross all of that is, we could then enter into the grace of God. I think that may be one reason that this is so put in such an extreme way. Well, for reasons known only to God and only guessed at by us, Jesus chose those images and those terms to describe something that is so important for our spiritual life. So what happens when the Holy One of God enters into our lives, into our bodies? Uh, people have speculated about this for centuries, but I think perhaps the best explanation is given by the German Dominican mystic Meister Eckhart. And this is what he says about it, and I'll read it twice because it's a little hard to take in the first time, so listen carefully. The bodily food we take is changed into us, but the spiritual food we receive changes us into itself. Therefore, divine love is not taken into us, but divine love takes us into itself, and we are one with it. I'll read it again. The bodily food we take is changed into us, but the spiritual food we receive changes us into itself. Therefore, divine love is not taken into us, but divine love takes us into itself, and we are one with it. For those who believe, the scandal of the sacrament is the gift of life itself, the gift of God coming to us in an intimacy we can hardly imagine. Over the centuries, Christians, uh, Christianity has become so domesticated that we've lost a sense of how scandalous those three aspects of our tradition really are. Perhaps God founded our faith on these scandals so that no one could say that their life is too bad, too notorious, to be acceptable to God. For that we give God thanks and praise. Amen.